0: Going to uh, read the gospel reading now, which is from uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a a town called Bethsaida but the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over.
1: take a little bit more of that prayer, Ben. thanks very much. (laughs) Good to be with you again this evening. uh, It's always a delight, at least for me. I hope it is for you. (laughs) What a challenge always to be God's people around his word and and to to dig deeply. Um, My father was a, a gardener, and I have to say that For most of, well, all of my childhood, I I detested it. Um, Now, perhaps if I say that I lived in Kansas, and the summers are in the 40s, and there are lots of flies and mosquitoes around, and when you are working up a sweat, the flies and mosquitoes do like to buzz around and are attracted to you... Maybe you understand a bit why it was not that much fun to be out in the garden with my father. Um, but he seemed to think that was the most wonderful thing in the world. And Actually, I think my dad didn't just have a, a green thumb. He had green eyes because sometimes he just look at things and they would grow. I, just, uh, I can remember uh, a garden full of quince and gooseberries and raspberries and blackberries and strawberries and, strawberries and Uh, cherries, all kinds, and uh, he even grew quince trees, which were something I had never heard of, and most of the people in Kansas had never heard of, but he successfully did grow them. So I suppose there was something about all of that. One of the things that he said again and again is, he said if, if a plant is really going to grow, it needs to be able to have good roots. And if it's going to have good roots in Kansas clay soil, he said, you've got to dig deep. And I think when we get to God's word sometimes, a challenge is to dig deep, to let our roots go down further than we're used to. the challenge always been is what you said earlier. You said, I pray that we'd hear something new that we didn't know before. And that's how you go over a, a text like this and you've heard it a number of times. You think, what more, what new could you say? Well, what's new is what God wants to say to our hearts. Always it's new and fresh. And so may we dig deeper together today in, in this passage. In the background of this parable of the feeding of the 5,000, I happen to be thinking about sort of where we are in this moment. Um, we're at the end of a fairly prosperous decade, and now things have completely changed. So in the last five years, things have gone very differently. And more and more in the news, they're saying our, our children or the next generation... <laughs> will not be as well off as we have been. We are facing also declining resources globally. Resources of water are getting scarcer and scarcer. You wouldn't know it sometimes by the the floods that Britain has experienced. Um, But uh, food, fuel, all of those things are becoming globally more and more uh, scarce. Climate change means more likely that we will see natural disasters happening more frequently and more severely, and the consequence will be a less stable environment than we've experienced in the previous decades. And I also think, besides financially and environmentally, emotionally, I'm asking myself where are we going? I work in, in the counseling field, you pray for anchor ministries, appreciate that. That's my ministry working as a Christian counselor helping people with mental health problems. And I see all the time the effects of the reduction in the NHS budget for mental health, the lack of support for people with mental health problems. And they get the feeling that, well, not just the feeling, I'm coming to the conclusion that we are actually very much moving in our society toward what I would call Darwinian values. You know, Darwin and his teachings on evolution spelled out one very simple principle in his thinking, which was the survival of the fittest. And I think we are moving in that place in our society, and I think America is ahead of Britain in that by a long shot, where we're saying, if you're not fit, we aren't really interested. If you can't contribute, I'm not interested. At the same time, we're asking our workers to spend more and more time, come up with more and more productivity, and they're getting more and more stressed. The number of people I've seen recently who said, you know, I started this job, I really liked it. And, and uh, they said, you know, you're doing really, really well, but we need you to do just a bit more. So I did a bit more. And then they laid somebody off and they said, we're going to need you to pick up that too. And before he said, Bef- well, before long I wasn't just doing 100%, I was doing 120% and 130%. And then I hit that place where I just collapsed because I just couldn't keep on doing it. I couldn't sustain it. But that's Partly the environment we're in, people are being pushed to do more and more for less and less. And in the midst of all of that world where there's scarcity and more pressures on everyone, a few of us come to church on a Sunday evening. And uh, we come to that faith that holds us. We sing those choruses that are also familiar to us, trust and obey. We come back to a faith community that should have very different values. But what we find amongst ourselves is that sometimes we're not very faith-filled people either. We tend to look at our church budgets and say, well... We need to cut back because people can't give as much and we need to cut our cloth to fit what's there and be reasonable people um, rather than asking, what has God called us to do in this time? We uh, look at our giving and cut back because finances are tight. We don't find time for people Who are hurting and hungry because we're all too busy. And rather than being the people who calm in our hearts, rest, make room for God to fill us richly, we are busy and weak and worn out and exhausted and don't have much energy for anybody. And I have to include myself in that from time to time. So it's good in the midst of all of that to come right back to the Scriptures and to read this passage that was read to us tonight from Luke chapter 9, that wonderful passage about Jesus. And it's interesting because Jesus has been ministering and he has given a lot. And then you get this, let's go to, let's get away for a while, let's go to a remote place. And he has this in mind that he's going to go someplace where he can have a break, from all that is happening so he says let's get the boat let's go across the lake from the west side of Galilee over to the east side of Lake Galilee or to Bethsaida a remote place Matthew or Luke says and when they get there what do they find the crowd figured out where they were going and went around on foot and there they are more needs, more demands. (laughs) So Jesus spends all day ministering, praying for the sick, teaching about the kingdom of God, giving out more. By the end of the day, I have a lot of sympathy for a couple of disciples who might come to Jesus and say, send these crowds away. It's a remote place, after all, and and they need to go someplace and find lodgings and and find some food to eat. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Yes, (laughs) like you were saying, Ben. 5,000 people? How are we going to feed 5,000 people? We only have five loaves and two fish. Unless we go buy something somewhere, but even then, where, how? And Jesus says, just have the people sit down in groups of 50. So he sits them down, the disciples go around and make sure they're all sitting down, and then he does this wonderful, simple thing. He looks up to heaven, takes the bread and gives thanks. Breaks the loaves and gives the pieces to the disciples and does the same with the fish. And after everyone has eaten all they needed and all they wanted, they take up twelve baskets full. Just incredible. Now, this is one of those unusual passages in scripture because it is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is um, written in all four gospels. So if you peruse through the other gospels you find in Mark that he mentions it would take at least 200 denarii or denarii being about a man's wages for a day it would take about 200 Days of wages to buy enough bread to feed everyone, even a little bit. Um, But yet everyone ate and had enough. Matthew adds he had compassion for the people and said to the disciples, they don't have to go away. John adds a very interesting dialogue with Philip. Apparently, in John's account, Jesus says to Philip, where could we buy enough bread to feed all these people? But he said that to test him, because he already knew what he was going to do. And then it's Andrew who says, well, there's a lad here with five barley loaves, but what are they amongst so many? So you get this picture little by little that this isn't even the disciples' resource. They're completely out. This is a lad with some, money, some food who's offering, but what are they among so many? Then after the miracle, John adds that the crowd wanted to make him king by force, so he slipped off into the hills by himself. Four gospel accounts, remarkable similarities, no contradictions, That in itself argues for the trustworthiness of the account, but I'm preaching to the converted here. I'm sure you all believe that this is a real account. There are more variations and differences around the resurrection in the Gospels than there are in this story. When there is that kind of agreement, I conclude it must be something that God is trying to to say to us? Now, the two dig-deeper questions are always these. What was the purpose of the writer in telling us this story? And then, secondly, what is the significance of that for us today? Now, you have to think Old Testament here with me for a moment because that's the background All these people that were being fed the earliest readers of the Gospels would have had only the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, if you think, (coughs) desert place, no availability of food, and the provision of bread out of almost nothing, what Old Testament story comes to your mind? Well, if you're a good Jew you would probably go back in your mind to the exodus wandering in the desert and god giving them manna from heaven and any good jew would have thought that right away in fact jesus later on in john talks about this you're just looking after me because i you know, because of the bread and the fish he said but that's not the point you need to know that I am the bread of life and those who come to me will never hunger. It's interesting in in Psalm 146, we have this lovely passage. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. Psalmist understood something here. And I understand recently that Rick Warren, the famous American pastor, has been saying something at a conference in Holy Trinity Brompton. And he basically said, we must be really careful as Christians to take up the cause of those with mental illness in this time. Why? Because the world isn't doing it. When you look at the picture of the Old Testament God, he was the God of the widow and the orphan. He was the God of the hungry. He always provided. The Old Testament pattern was for all the farmers to leave some crops at the edges of the fields uncut, so that the poor could go in and get something to eat. There was supposed to be provision for widows and orphans. Now, maybe we should include in our society today single people and single parents, because I think for many of them, they're the equivalent in our time of widows and orphans. And there's lots of that need in our time. Isaiah 58 talks about that fast that is the fast that delights God. He says, Is not this the fast I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your real God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. Caring about the poor and the hungry is the task of God's people, and I think it's important that we listen to him in this time. The poor and hungry will probably need us more now than at any time for a decade. Now, contrast these two sets of words. The disciples send the people away to go buy food for themselves. And the words of Jesus, you give them something. They don't need to go away. Which words have you been used to speaking and listening to? John said this was a test of his disciples. He said, how are we going to feed them where could we buy food for such a number? And Anderson, in this, I don't know. There's a, a, a lad here with five loaves. What's that among so many? What was the test that Jesus was putting before his disciples? As far as I can see, in the whole of the Gospels, when Jesus tested his disciples, It was one of two things. It was either testing their faith or testing their obedience. And I think in this case, it was a bit of both, but I think it was largely a test of faith. There's a test of obedience when he says, Make the people sit down. Now, behind that, you see, is if we're going to sit down, we're going to eat. So if I say, all right, let's sit down now. (laughs) By the time they'd all sat down, they would be expectant. All right, what are you going to do? How are you going to feed us? What are you going to do to provide? So to be obedient in the first place to Jesus, to have those people sit down, took a bit of risk. But then even more, it was a risk of faith. So what do you have? Five loaves. I think what Jesus wanted his disciples to learn through this test was this. What do you do when your human resources don't match the human need? What do you do when your human resources don't match the needs that are before you? And I think what he was wanting them to learn was to come back to him, to turn to him in those times. It's significant, I think, that the miracle occurred in that gap between the human need that was greater than the human resource five loaves, 5,000 people, plus women and children. In the gap between those two is where God came and met them. And living there takes a huge amount of faith. I was told recently by some by my daughter that she had spoken to one of the workers at the Ark, and we mentioned this, and they have apparently had a similar miracle, that at one point they had bags of food to distribute and they only had 12 bags. That's all the food they had, enough for 12 people. And when they handed out what they had, they checked out 16 people with full bags who left. And they didn't know where the others came from. But everyone walked out with what they needed. Now, that's a today miracle happening in our city, in our town right now. It is that miracle occurring when the resource doesn't match the need and people turned to Jesus. I heard once a liberal interpretation of this miracle. They said, Well, actually, what happened was when they, the lad came and he said, Well, I'll give my five loaves and two fishes. I don't need all of that. Then other people who'd been holding onto theirs said, well, well, I'll give mine too. And they started passing around all that they had. And in the end, everybody had enough and there was left over. Be nice if we're so simple, but that isn't how it's described at all. And I think we can trust this was meant to be a supernatural experience and not just a, an, a wonderful miracle of generosity. We often get to the edge of our resources with God's purpose in mind, which is for us to experience the supernatural resources of Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't know if you like me, but I have to confess there's a part of me that would just like to domesticate faith. I'd like to make it safe and in my control, to take the risk out of it, to bring it back in-house, But what I've discovered when I do is I begin to lose the power of God. It's like I'm in my house and everything is safe. Jesus comes to the door and knocks. I open the door and I would just love right then to take him and pull him inside and shut the door and keep him for me so everything would be safe and all my needs would get met. But he doesn't come in. He stands outside and he said, I want you to come and be involved in the needs of this world. And I've got to step out of my safe place, out into the open with Jesus to experience what he wants me to experience. I'd love to drag God back and domesticate faith and make it nice and safe and and reduce faith to faithfulness. Well, I give my tithe, and I do what's expected, and I attend church, so God will bless me. And God keeps saying, I will bless you for your faithfulness, but what really delights my heart is your faith. And the writer of Hebrews would say that. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And I believe he's found by us most often in that gap between our where our resources end and the need goes unmet because that's where he challenges us again and again. The old saying is, When Jesus is all we have, we discover Jesus is all we need. We can stop short because we focus on our human resources instead of the divine ones, and we're practical. Like the disciples, it would be much easier to deal with the problem by saying, send the people away, let's just distance ourselves and stay safe. As a result, we protect our resources and we don't display Jesus in his power. Jesus is revealed when we respond in obedience and faith, trust and obey when there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. How often he asks us, what do you have? What are our resources? If we give what we have, God will provide what we don't. That's the promise. There's always enough resource from God to do the will of God, and that's where he would have us live. Now, if I might just take a side issue, all pastors would be happy if I take five minutes to talk about tithing and giving, so I will. Uh, When we give our offerings to the Lord, as we've done tonight, it's not like we're saying, okay, Lord, here's 10% of what I earn. That's yours. The rest is mine. That's nice and domesticated. All we have is his. So why do we give him a tenth? I think it's, it's this kind of faith step that says okay, Lord, all I have is yours. Here's 10%, and I trust you that with the rest, with the 90%, you'll meet the needs of my family and myself. I'm trusting you to provide and to use and to bless when I put you first. Giving is an act of worship. We bow down and surrender all that we have and all that we are to him. He says, what do you have? All of this is mine. What can you contribute? And he doesn't want us to despair when that is so little because often he brings us to the end of our resources so that we can begin to step over into the beginning of his. I can't I wish I could describe it, but it's like one side of the river and you come to the edge of the river where you're standing and the resource of God is on the other bank. And how do you get from this side to that side? How do you get from this is all I have to that wonderful resource of all that he has. And maybe it's a bit like those priests in the Old Testament when they came to the Jordan River with the ark and they put that first step in the water and the water dried up and they walked across. But I think it was like that for those disciples when he said, what do you have? What's this among so little? Make them sit down And then he broke those loaves and he started giving them out and they started stepping into the water. It was dry. And there's more. And there's more. And there's more. And by the time everyone had eaten, he said, gather up the the remaining scraps, don't let anything be wasted. And they got baskets out and they started filling it with the leftover pieces. And before long, they had 12 baskets full the resources of God were supernaturally so much more than the need and even so much more than what they started out with. He doesn't want us to despair and say, oh, this is a tight economic time. If there are needs, he wants us to come to him for the resources. We can also feel emotionally and spiritually that we lack resources to face the needs we encounter. Oh, that person has such so many problems and I feel so drained. I just like, excuse me, just like to send them away. But sometimes Jesus is saying, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You know, actually, this isn't as strange as it seems because This is the way we go about sharing the gospel. Sharing about the love of God in Christ Jesus is wonderful. And leading people to Jesus with the knowledge that they need a Savior is a tremendous privilege. But there comes a place where you've helped them to see they're a sinner and they repent and that they have to turn to Christ because he offers them eternal life, and you bring them right to the edge of the river, but you know there is no way in the world that you can get them across. There's no way in the world that you can lead, you can create for them a conversion experience. You come to that place, and you believe that when they turn their hearts to him, he will meet Coming to Him. And that's faith. And it happens. They take that step, they pray to the Lord, and as Wesley would say, hearts are strangely warmed. We experience something of God's wonderful grace. The miracle of salvation occurs when we get to the end of our resources, and only Jesus can meet the need. But he wants to meet that need through us as we share our testimony, as we invite our friends, as we point to the one who works miracles of abundance in every place of our poverty. Then just a little joke before we quit. Have you ever thought where the baskets came from? Somebody asked me that a long time ago that he said, do you suppose they were the disciples' empty lunch baskets? They'd already eaten theirs. (laughs) So they had something to put it in. I wonder. Twelve baskets, twelve disciples. But it's amazing, isn't it, when we take that step of faith to walk with Jesus in the risky place how he not only meets the needs of others, but he gives us extra for ourselves. And we too are enriched as we give ourselves to others. May that be true of us again and again and again in these years ahead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you used ordinary men fishermen. You walked with ordinary women and helped them to encounter the supernatural power of your kingdom in the strangest places. And as we've read tonight, that you often reveal yourselves in that place, yourself to us, in that place where our resources are at an end and the need is so much greater. Forgive us in that moment where we've turned away from the need and turned back to try to protect our own limited resources Instead of turning to you and stepping into the gap and risking you to see what your resource might be in this time. Oh Lord, may our roots go deeper. May we find in times of drought the water that is deeper into ground, the resources that come when men and women really trust you and serve you with whole hearts and give you faith to move mountains. We ask it in your name.